on a nice little gloomy Monday. And uh, <laughs> Joe, the first question we wanted to ask you is, uh, what superhero would you be and why? Well, I... hit record all right mr joe you ready to have some fun i am ready for you perfect all right joe you're joe's ready ty you ready absolutely all right let's have some fun <laughs> time out tyler who are we taking the time out with today thank you kevin and good morning y'all but today we have joe rulison ceo and founder of three plus one joe thanks for spending the morning with us this uh on a nice little gloomy monday and uh joe <laughs> first question we wanted to ask you is uh what superhero would you be and why well i have to tell you tyler first of all to you and kevin thank you i'm so thrilled to be on your show and uh i have to tell you it goes all the way back to i identify with batman now you got to keep in mind i grew up with batman and i i want to let you know i also was out in hollywood where i was able to sit in the batmobile I was able to be next to his outfit. And I just got to tell you, it just seemed to fit beautifully. Now, the only thing is, Batman's got to lose a little weight. <laughs> I had a little too much room in it, but that was okay. I love flying down, helping people, and then going out in behind the scenes that nobody knows that you're there. But I have to tell you, I'm trying to find the right the right uh, Robin, but you know, with my lovely bride, Karen, I've got the perfect Batwoman. So we're oh, you do, you we do. got the world covered. <laughs> That's so. awesome. Well, I need to lose uh, a few pounds after the pandemic myself, Joe. So I think we all, we all share that in common. Uh, Tyler and I love to uh, ask this question because it's always on top of mind for Tyler and myself. What are you having for lunch today, Joe? Well, you know, that's a good question because I had to go to Costco yesterday and had to pick up one of those great chickens. And I was going to have it last night, but I got too enthralled into the football game watching the Patriots against the Cowboys. And so I forgot all about dinner and I was thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do for uh, lunch today? Went downstairs and there's the chicken. So I made a chicken sandwich. So I have to tell you, I give a lot of credit to the Cowboys winning because otherwise that chicken would have been gone last night. <laughs> That's a good year for America's football team. <laughs> there you go. Heck yeah, Joe, nice little rotisserie chicken. Well, Joe, what was your uh, most your favorite childhood memory? You know, I had a great, I was very fortunate. I had a great neighborhood that we grew up in and it was called Cedric Farms in Syracuse. And it was just a tight neighborhood. You could ride back and forth to school. You could just go and pick up a baseball game down the street, or, you know, you go and you're delivering newspapers. And it's so funny because today I uh, was about a couple of days ago, I was asked if I knew somebody in Denver. And I said, you know, I actually used to deliver newspapers to their family in Syracuse. So you see, it all just is a matter that it started in Cedric Farms and it takes me across the country in terms of delivering newspapers, having a job, earning some money. And I gotta tell you, the greatest part of it was Christmas when you go around and you collect the bonuses for Christmas. And we had a couple of people that gave you $20. I mean, you really could buy a lot of candy with that. So I have to tell you, that's part of what built this body was the kid from being a paper boy. <laughs> awesome. 
while you're del- out there delivering papers, you're pedaling really hard on your two wheel, or, or maybe you had a car at that point. I so. had a wagon too. I had the red wagon carrying the newspapers <laughs> back. You know, those Sunday newspapers are pretty heavy things. And you got 170 homes that you're delivering to. I got to tell you, I developed muscles. I had no idea that I was going to have to develop. And that was usually the paper, uh, the paper uh, holders that I put on the back of the dog. And I just had the dog just go along with me. And that dog became awful muscular as I'm there just whipping the papers up on the, on the good old stoops. <laughs> oh, well, you sounds like uh, when you're out delivering papers with your dog there, what <laughs> music would you be listening to? If we, if Tyler and I were to pull next to you up on uh, 390, what, what music will we catch you singing to? I got to tell you, it'd be the bridge. You know, I just love the musics of the 70s. And I, it just something with it. Now, you know, people think that I'm a little strange because I like Barry Manilow. <laughs> I also like, you know, the John Denver. And I listen yep. to, um, you know, from all those great things from Cat Stevens to uh, Harry Chapin is my most favorite. Wow. Love Harry Chapin. And I have to tell you, I was in Washington for a summer internship when I was at Fisher for political science. And I was asked to go to a World Food Conference. And it was a small group. And I'm there and I walk in and here's this individual. And I thought it was Ted Kennedy. Oh my God. So I got to go up. I take the invite. I said, can you please sign it for me? He goes, sure. And he signs it. I go, you don't look like Ted Kennedy's signature. He goes, well, I'm not. I'm Harry Chapin. (laughs) And I got to tell (laughs) you. And he told me, he he sat down and told us a lot of the stories behind his songs and um, absolutely amazing uh, facts and figures. And I've loved him ever since. And I still have that card that he signed for me. So yes. if you had to ask me, Harry Chapin, I am a diehard fan of, and I still listen to his music and I sing to it and I try my best with it, Tyler. I have to tell you, some people, you know, get a little bit annoyed when they hear me bellowing out of the shower or bellowing out of the car. <laughs> likewise, likewise, yes. I can really I'm surprised I haven't been shot yet. <laughs> Now, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I love singing in the shower. My girls came up one time and said, Dad, you know, you sound like a constipated cow. And I'm going, well, you know, I got to deliver the milk. So what can I afford voice lessons? <laughs> yeah, I love singing on a good riding lawnmower, to tell you the truth, Joe. I well, I have really to tell bounce. you, I will tell you one little fact of uh, my singing history, and that was, that when the wizard first opened at Times Square back in the night, I think it was like 1980, I was in a shirt and a pair of swim trunks in Times Square. I walk in and they're doing the very first, uh, what is it, uh, where you sing to the music and karaoke. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have a film in the whole bit. So they asked if I wanted to sing. And I said, sure, here I am, Times Square, July. So I sang White. Christmas. And I have to tell you, it's on YouTube today. Now you look at it, you're trying to figure out, this guy looks a little weird in a shirt and a pair of street <laughs> from his Times Square singing, you know, Merry Christmas or White Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, in the video, when you look at it, there are people in back bebopping to my song. So I'm going to tell you, I've already well, you got can't be that bad then, there, Joe. Groupies. <laughs> you were on beat and everything? You can't be there that you, bad. Oh, there, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so I have to tell you, with it, Kevin, it was my first debut. Let me say, it was my end too. My last. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Broadway shows were knocking on your door after. No, I didn't have any contracts coming my way. But <laughs> I mean, you've already given us some awesome memories of your of your past, there, Joe. What What's the most happiest memory of your life? 
you know, I have to tell you the happiest memory is what I'm doing right now with everybody that I'm working with. And oh. it just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, I just love three plus one, love what we've all done. But you know, in this point of time to have a company where you're able to go and uh, build a company, be the very first in the country, have a niche and to develop it and have it where you create the need and the need is being met and you're doing it nationally. But to have such incredible family of support and at the same time, such incredible friends that have been there to help both you know, emotionally and financially and to be there when you've got you know, the sweat and when you got the joys, when you got the tears. Mm -hmm. And all of that has really culminated to a point that, boy, I got to tell you, I just love doing what we're doing today. And I love where I am today. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, I'm just getting started. And uh, so many people say, you're getting ready to retire. And I go, what? Are you kidding me? No, I'm just getting started. So I'm, I'm ready. And we're thrilled about it because three plus one being a fintech company has been able in the seven years that we've been in existence has, has created over $500 million that's gone back to public communities that we serve. So it's so neat to be able to touch a community and to know we make a difference and leave a thumbprint and to know that we're not going to be happy until every single community in this country has been touched by three plus one. And so I'm having a ball with it. It is a real joy. And uh, boy, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just so fortunate. Yeah. Well, as we as we transition gears here, I want to touch on that because it doesn't feel like work. I mean, you and I sat down for a business meeting maybe uh, two and a half years, two years ago now, and right. you could just tell that it was almost like that purpose conversation that Tyler right. and I, everybody's kind of looking and soul searching right now trying to unlock their right. purpose or find out who they are. Why are you so passionate about helping uh, municipalities as well as higher education there at three plus one? Why did you put such a focus or an emphasis on that where Joe Rulison can make his mark? I have to tell you, Kevin, by having been involved in politics, having been involved with community, having been involved with um, St. John Fisher College and other higher ed institutions, I saw that there was a real need. They just do not they're not loved as they should be. They just do what they do and people take them for granted that, you know, that you're having to pay taxes. Therefore, you know, I'm paying them to do what they've got to do. And they're just not given the kind of respect and love that we need, given that they're public servants, they make things work day in and day out. They are there to make sure we've got our, they're there to make sure that our, our, our public services are picked up. They're there to make sure that we're being educated. And all of that is just one where I just felt from a social conscious um, perspective, we needed to give back and make a difference in our community. And those that serve so much of us, they deserve to be taken care of. And so it, it's that they are our heroes. They're the ones that are in the front line. They're the ones that during COVID, you know what? They didn't run. Mm -hmm. They came in and charged in to see what can we do to make a difference. And that's why we've got to take care of them to know that we're making and having an impact on them. And if we can be able to make sure that we're giving, making more money through our financial data so they can do more with less and be able to have more people to help them get raises that they desperately need. I got to tell you, our public officials and our, those that are public servants don't get paid enough for everything that they do today, given the 24 seven that they're on. Our policemen, our firemen, um, they need so much more that's given. And at the same point in higher ed, they're there to make us smarter and better and to make the public better. And 
to make the United States and the world better. And we've got to do more for them. And that's why we're working so hard to give back and to make them our focus. That's, that's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Golly, Joe. And uh, I guess uh, I wanted to ask you, what was the, your greatest challenge in starting 3 Plus 1? Well, I've got to tell you, Tyler, I'm going to tell you and Kevin a story that I have not come out with publicly. And you're going to be very surprised by this as well, Kevin, because we um, originally started the company back, uh, I started it back in the 90s and Monroe County Airport was my very first client. And we built it and then sold it to Fleet Bank, which became Bank of America, which went nationally. And then as I was president of the bank, saw that you know, the bank was getting out of small medium markets and said, there's a point that I've got to bring this company back but in a different way, different dynamic. And so that happened in 2014, October of 2014, brought it out, put every dime I had, every bit. I mean, when I tell you every single penny, then some, and really worked to say, you know, the marketplace is changing, banking is changing. There's challenges we need because we know technology is changing, the regulations are changing and interest rates are gonna go up. And so they did. And we were able to really start building a presence. And at the very point of starting as any new ent entity, you want to start with a big rush. And then as you're going with the rush, you're then building on that. Well, it really came to a crashing stop in December of 2015 when I had some incidents that occurred that basically left me blind. And Kevin, at the time you saw me back two and a half years ago, I was legally blind. And to know that you have your whole world, that you put everything in, and next thing you know, you've had over a dozen, two dozen surgeries, procedures, you can't see, and you have to leave. What it does is that it absolutely being blind causes you to look at other strengths, to pull up your bootstraps and forge ahead. And it was that part that was just amazing because it takes every fiber of your body, every emotion you can imagine, and you being at your prime, all of a sudden bring it to a complete halt, having it as though you hit a brick wall, and now what do you have to do? You can either wallow in your sorrows, or you can go and pull the very best out of yourself because you have a passion, you have a dream, and you're not gonna let down your family, your friends, and those that you're working with. And those are the exact others that were there for me. My family was there helping every single way from having to help me figure out how to put a shirt on to helping me figure out where the spoon or the fork goes to the very point of friends saying, we're gonna get you back to normal. <laughs> to where I had coworkers that were there saying, you know what, if you've got to take a rest, take a rest. Yet it was that passion, and I gotta tell you, there was a lot of tears, a lot of tears and a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you that I just never stopped pursuing the dream mm -hmm. and knowing, you know what, this is not gonna stop me. And that's where you build up those blind strengths that all of a sudden you realize you have much stronger ability inside than what you ever imagined. And it's that that pushes you forward to take a dream and make it a reality. And I've got to tell you, it was an emotional uh, path. And I, I'm very pleased that with the great help of the Kalamai Institute, with um, Dave DiLoretto, with Rachel Wozniak and Scott McRae, 
they did amazing things. It was a year and a half ago that I had a cornea transplant and had another lens transplant, had other work, but I will tell you, it was absolute faith. It was the belief in God. And it was absolutely saying prayers every single day that when I went to see them a year and a half ago, they were absolutely amazed that a miracle happened. The uh, left eye that has its issues still has issues, but has come so far ahead. But the right that they thought would never get corrected miraculously has overpowered and has allowed me to get back there. Last January, I started driving again. Wow. I was able to do things, but it, it just, the part that I've got to keep in mind is what I learned along the way, just not to forget. But I never let anybody know this was going on. I, I would wear sunglasses. I would make my way through. I would memorize a menu before I went to lunch. I would have to tell you, I had my times when I was going down a step and I missed a step and had to say, oh, I wasn't paying attention. So many things you had to do to sort of camouflage because when you're building a business, everybody's looking for the weakness. Mm -hmm. looking to see where is the dent in the armor that's going to prevent you from being who you are. Mm -hmm. And I was damned if that was going to happen. And today, now that I am doing very well and back to full independence and going full steam, it's a story to just be able to share and say, you know what? We all have major issues to overcome. We have challenges, but you know what? You can either take the challenge and let it eat you and put you to pasture or you take it to strengthen to be the very best you can be and to make a difference and so that's a story that i'm willing and wanting to share with you i love that and and i think sometimes i mean adversity is uh, when we have a challenge it's sometimes perceived as a negative um right. where, where definitely you have you, you looked at adversity in the eye and and you made it an opportunity to to really grow um, personally, professionally, whatever way that you want to put up. Um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is going through such an experience like that. We heard during the pandemic terminology like um, uh, uh, re uh, resilience, right? Uh, right? Resilience was like the word. And, and this is something that you had to, to bear down and, and get through back in 2015. But going through that experience yourself and relying on others um, to really help you find the t-shirts or find the menu or whatever it might be. How did that make you a better leader? I think from it, it made you think about what do you need to do to make a difference going forward and how are you going to look at the challenge and come up with a solution? When COVID hit, I was on a flight home on uh, in March of uh, 2020 when the Federal Reserve said, we're going to bring race to zero. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we've gone from two and a half, we've been building the company, and now we're going to go through this. What impact are we going to do in this case? And here I was just getting back from get better and um, saying, you know, we've got to come up with a solution that's going to help communities. Everybody was there for me. Now I got to be there for them. Mm -hmm. And so we created the pathway to recovery to help public entities figure out how are we going to help you on the front lines? How are we going to show you, you know what? We're going to show you where your money is. We're going to show you how much money you're going to have. Don't worry about that. We'll take care of that part. We'll make sure you've got enough money to meet what the needs are during the time of COVID. You do what you've got to do. And we're not going to have money keep you up at night. We're going to tell you if you have enough money. We're going to tell you if you have to 
raise money. We're going to help lobby government for the CARES Act and for the ARP. So I, I think, Kevin, it was one where I was willing to take help when I needed it. It was my time to give back and this company's time to give back to really make a difference during COVID. And what was amazing is that during COVID, we created uh, liquidity models to show public entities, how are you going to uh, go through the pandemic and how much money is gonna be available for you at the end? Everybody was concerned, well, we're losing money. We're gonna be 50% down the sales tax. We're gonna have to go raise a lot of debt. And we're saying, wait a minute, just let us do some work for you. Our modeling came back and said, you know what? You're gonna be stronger than you realize. Don't worry, we'll come back and make sure that, you know, we can attest to this. And our models today, which are going back and back testing, were within 1% of the accuracy of what we told them was gonna happen at the beginning of COVID to the end of COVID. And I'm talking about in 2020 and now going into 2021. Is COVID over? No. But what it did, there were some parts that you learn as a one, we were able to bring new technologies and new modeling to public entities that were not used to doing that. The other part, and I would say if there was a strength that came out, it was having public entities and higher ed learn remote working, remote learning. We were able to break out of the box and be able to go into new ways of how to communicate and be able to deal with one another so we could be broader, faster, and smarter. And I think that's exactly what happened. That's amazing. Well, Joe, thanks for sharing all this with us. You're getting me You're all welcome. fired up for a Monday. And Joe, <laughs> I, uh, I, you are, man, you are. Um, and I keep hearing you use the words us and we. You know, you don't say the word I too often, I, I have a feeling. And it sounds like you surround yourself with the right people, whether you're, you can see or not. And um, I shared with you before we started recording, you know, we had a, a meeting with y'all about two years ago with Peter over there. And my right. coworker, who's uh, from the area, St. John Fisher's alum, was looking around your office going, Tyler, dude, there's some All-Americans. Like, they just keep walking by. And I'm sitting there, there was only like nine people in the office, I think. And he said like eight of them he knew of. Yeah. And I walked out of there, not even really remembering the meeting and what the heck it was about with Peter, but, but remembering how that guy gets so much talent in that room, you know, and can you share with us how you surround yourself by the cabin there just from hearsay from my, my part, you know, Tyler, great question. And we're now I'm thrilled to say we're up to 22 and uh, how I view it is that, and it is all of us and we're a puzzle. And I, we look at seeing, okay, we've got a puzzle of different pieces. Pieces are gonna be different. You know, you're gonna have opposites and others, but everybody interconnects. And if you bring the right parts of the right people, all of a sudden the pieces start creating a picture. And next thing you know, you have something that is so special and they go, well, once you create the puzzle, where do you go from there? You just expand the puzzle and you expand what the picture is. And we've got every single piece needs to interlock because every single one at this company has unbelievable talents and we're thrilled with. The hardest part about three plus one is getting into three plus one. And we're still looking, we're continuing to look, we're looking for great talent, but we wanna know that we've got a culture that we're here for every single individual. And our culture here is to exceed expectations. Mm -hmm. exceed expectations of those we serve, exceed the expectations of our employees, 
and exceed the expectations of our shareholders. If we do that, I'm at the very bottom. I'm at the very <laughs> bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> and when things run down, they run down. But I have to tell you, that is a way to be able to create a strong foundation and to know that we're building a company of such incredible talent. I love our team. Our team, every single person here, when you go through and I could go through every single individual, they're here, they're international, they are um, in Rochester, they're in Albany, they're in Virginia, they're in um, over in different parts of the country of uh, Istanbul. Uh, that is a Fulbright Scholar from RIT. That she's here this week because we're doing an offsite. But we really love the fact that we just see everybody is so special and. They each bring, whether it be finance, whether it be technology, whether it be relationship management, whether it be client service, everybody just works together and we celebrate. Mm -hmm. We celebrate successes. We're also there in case of hard times that occur. They were there for me. I am there for them. And I will tell you for what they did as a result. And I'm right here with Samantha right across from me, who's one of the best ever in marketing, Samantha Rothschild. <laughs> you know, it just shows you the talents that we've got and it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And I love bringing individuals of all ages because they keep me young, yeah. but at the same point, we're able to help mentor them with our experiences so that we make it stronger. And what we build for a company is not a company that's for today, not for a company that's tomorrow. This is a company that's gonna be for the future and it's gonna affect generations to come. It's exciting. And at the same point, they keep me young. Yeah, that's so <laughs> I have cool. to tell you, they're a lot smarter than I am. So if you ask Tyler, why we have the people that we have, it's because they're smart and they make me look great. Yeah, that's what I always so, said. If, if Tyler and I were lucky enough to lead our own company, I want him and I to be the dumbest people in the room. <laughs> by far. Go. Yeah, by far. Go. But um, one of the things that I didn't hear you say, Joe, is uh, labeling, right? Um, I think some people in leadership, when they talk about those multi-generations, they, they tend to label, right? And, and, and provide stigmas too. But you're, you're also looking at it, a mentor mentee relationship that's almost bi-directional which is which is awesome and exceptional right. now you think about kind of your history right you started more as a, a paper boy first was your one of your first jobs but your first postgraduate job was was with uh Bausch and uh company as right. an account executive so right. you were really on the front lines navigating those relationships how has that helped you kind of structure what you wanted to do with three plus one and put the customer focus first, which I know that you guys do. Is that really what you learned from that experience? And then what did you learn from corporate America, bank of America um, and what you did or did not want to do as you led and created your own company? Absolutely. Kevin, first of all, with base Halsey store, um, I was an investment broker there. And what I learned there was this was back in the eighties. And I kept hearing more about uh, money management. And I kept thinking, if the um, greatest generation had the greatest amount of money and they were passing it on to the baby boomers, me being a baby boomer, um, how are they going to manage it? Man, we were going to have a lot of money on our hands. And I think you need the expertise. And I kept thinking, what about money management? So I'd go and say to, the, to my branch manager, I'd like to get you know, involved with money manager. There's uh, Howen Rosling and there was Manning the Pier and others. And they said, well, you can't, that's institutional. I said, well, I think that's the future. And they said, well, you can't do that. Hmm. Well, you, you know, when you're told you can't do something, what are you gonna do? 
you're, you're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the opportunity to believe that money management was the wave of the future and got involved with money management, which ended up where I got into an investment management firm type to which I bought and became ruleless in a company to which we created MuniFlow for public entities to which took me to Bank of America where I was president of the bank. What corporate America did, first of all, was that I, here I was as a business owner, here I was as a public official, having been on the Wrighton Town Board, having been the chairman of the County of Monroe Industrial Development Agency, and today being the treasurer of the Water Authority. Had those sides, and I understood the public side, but I didn't know what the banking was. And so the banking, I had to go in, and it was so funny, when I sold MuniFlow to Fleet Bank, which is Bank of America, everybody said, you know, you're selling out making a lot of money. What are you going to do? Retire? And I said, are you kidding? This is part of a 25-year dream that is in place. Wow. This is just the start. Wow. I'm 40 years old. I'm too young to be a CEO for life. I've got to go and learn. And I can't understand the whole side of public money unless I know how it works in banking. Hmm. So I went to the bank and learned what banking was about and how the black boxes of banking work. And then the opportunity to bring it back out what the banking did was discipline, risk, compliance, and how to think big. And then when brought it back out, that was it. Had all the right makings to come out with all the right talents, skills, and tools, but yet how to think big and how to bring this out. So learn from being small to going big, coming back out small to going big again. <laughs> it's a cycle, but it's, it's like the world, how the world evolves. And it's one that, you know what, as I look at it, Bank of America, global bank, that's how I see three plus one. We're not just stopping in the US. We see ourselves being involved on an international basis. The systems we created, which on the financial technology, we don't manage any money. I understand the management of money, but we're just arming public entities with the data to show them this is where all your cash is. This is the cash you can put to work. And it can be in any currency. And so our bounds are limitless, whether it's here, whether it's Europe, whether it's South America, or whether it's digital that's in a marketplace that nobody understands. Yeah. That in the fact is how we see ourselves. And that's what the banking did for us was to think globally and to think big, but to do it right, to do it right without taking the risk. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I'll tell you that comes back to St. John Fisher College, they believe in values and ethics. And this is what we've ingrained through everybody at the company and everybody that comes to this company, we're gonna do it right, going to do it right from the beginning and we're going to do it because it takes a lot of work to fix messes and we're not going to do that we're going to spend our time doing it right making a lot of money to make a difference to the public and to know that we're just globally growing this so we're having a bigger impact on the world that we live in one of the be having that big picture right is is pretty motivating for your staff and your employees right, right. i mean uh, seeing that that future state how often do you guys revisit that? Like talking about the future and talking about how big you want to make this um, because it's, it's different, right? My experience in, in corporate America is as the employee, the individual is, is not celebrated as much as they may be right. um, today at three plus one. How often are you getting together with your team? Because it seems like, you know, them on a very individualized basis, talking about big picture. Do you think Absolutely. that's what's helped to attract the top talent to you? I think, you know, with it, Kevin, I think it's a couple of things. One, we as a team, we're on calls twice a week, just like this. And this is part of what 
I would say of the silver lining of what we went through from a pandemic is we learned to communicate all on an equal level. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being in a conference where, where some people are around the country and they can hear a, a box of voices and not know who's who, <laughs> this Zoom meeting brings all of us on the same level, same size box, same size platform. And we, every Monday, have everybody go around and uh, sort of like the musical squares. We go around <laughs> and everybody tells their story. And we sing the praises at the same point. And we do a check-in on Thursday. But for example, this week, we're taking a full three days to just celebrate the team. Wow. We said, clear your calendar. And it's about nobody else but you about you, what it is that makes you the superhero of what you're bringing to the front lines. And to know that we're just taking time out to not think of anything else but you. And I think all of that is part because it's, it's strong communications. It's strong that here we don't have any bosses. I'm not a boss. I work with everybody. I work alongside everybody. Everybody works alongside me. If I hear the word boss, I am not happy because that means somebody's above each other and we're all of such great talent. We deserve to be along each other. And as we grow, what we're doing is we're having individuals fill what they wanna do so that as we're growing as a company, they're bringing the best of their skills. And if they're seeing something different than we are and what they wanna do, then by all means, go for it. Mm -hmm. We have individuals who are analysts that are now in sales. We have individuals that don't like sales and wanna be in relationship. So it's really exciting on that. And I'm, I'm just thrilled because have this view, but the view keeps expanding because our talent keeps expanding to such a level that we know what our capabilities are. And we're thrilled. We just finished um, as the inaugural class of the BNY Mellon Accelerator Program, international. There were two companies that were selected worldwide and we were one of them. And what that did was for us accelerated our growth. So Tyler, from what we are with technology today to what we were is amazing and where we're going is just cutting edge. But what that accelerator program did was give us the confidence that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. We learned what we were capable of and where we could go. And we now have that confidence to even go that much further. And I think BNY Mellon, incredible financial institution. The oldest institution on uh, Wall Street, all, it is the bank of all banks, holds all the assets of all the banks. I think it's over $41 trillion of assets that they custodial and as a corporate trustee. And you look at that and here we are part of learning from them and being mentored. And I think the last part of that is everybody within the company is alongside each other, but we all know we don't have the answers. And we all say, look, check your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. You never hear a voice loud here. You never hear somebody ever getting angry. It's all a part of what can we do to help each other grow? You know what? This company today is gonna to be different in another month, six months. And every six months we come back and say, where are we as a company? And it was far different than it was than we had said six months prior. And that's exciting because we're developing it as a team. We're developing alongside each other. And you know what? We're going to do more and more to make a difference as a fintech company in the public and higher ed marketplace. Woo! I know I'm fired up, Tyler. Man, I'm... <laughs> yeah, bravo. I mean, is there anything else to say? Yeah. Oh, I love this stuff. First of all, you know, I love what you do. And I have to tell you, the both of you, first of all, I've got to really compliment with what you're doing. Ingenuity, 
creativity. I don't, I, you, you know, you got to answer something for me. I can't figure this out. As much as I do on LinkedIn and as much as I try to follow and I try to have people follow me, I'm trying to figure out how you have 10,000 followers. You know how long it's taking me to get 3,000? Oh my God. I have to go out and look to follow me. Starbucks, $5 Starbucks gift cards work really good, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should be so proud because what you're doing also is that um, one thing I have to show you, when I started at Base Halsley and I was trying to figure out how am I going to differentiate myself to the marketplace, I went and with Brighton Pittsburgh Post, I went to Andy Wolf and said, if I come up with a column for um, entrepreneurs that I can write, can you publish the article. He goes, absolutely. So every two weeks I did an article. I had a ghostwriter because I'm terrible in English. <laughs> so I had a ghostwriter and the very first person that I did a piece on was Tom Galasano. Oh my God. And he was absolutely magnificent. And I said, you know, when your company goes public, I got to buy the stock. So I got to tell you one quick story. So sure enough, the company comes public and, um, my wife and I had just moved into the house and we didn't have two dimes to put together for a dining room set. So my sister-in-law goes and says, do you want a thousand dollars for a dining room set and just pay me back? And I said, sure. So we did, bought it, was perfect. And I took the thousand dollars and put paychecks into her IRA. I have to tell you that's the most God dang most expensive dining room set I ever <laughs> paid for. <laughs> $1,000 is still today worth over $200,000. And I have to tell you, Karen said, well, what stock did you buy for us? And I said, well, you're eating off of it. <laughs> I just want to let you know, what you're doing is you're setting stage for individuals to tell their stories and to really be able to impact those that we hope to inspire and hope to really show, you know what, if I can do it, you can do it. And that's my, my last piece of advice is Thank don't you. ever let your passion, um, fulfill your passion. If yeah. you've got the gut, if you got the feeling, do it. Yeah. You know what? Failing is okay. Failing makes you stronger because you learn from it. Yeah. And having the passion is extremely important. It's also important to have a touch of paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> Look over your shoulder, see who else is doing what I'm doing or who's going to do what I'm doing so I can stay ahead of the curve. Exactly. But I have to tell you what the both of you are doing. I, first of all, can't tell you how much I love doing the podcast. with Thank you. you. Absolutely brilliant marketing, absolutely brilliant concept with it. And I have to tell you, I have one request. Yep. That is that when we hit all 50 uh, states, I want to come back and be able to brag. Oh, guarantee it. You will see yeah. We'll sign the contract now, Joe. Guarantee it. When you hit all the yes. and I How have many no shot are we? That that's going to happen. There you go. We're in 14, 15, 16 states right now. And we got to get to all 50. So I'm ready to come back and know that by being on this podcast, it made that kind of difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll get you to the other, we'll get you to the other, what is that? Uh, 34, 34 states. Yeah, we'll get you to the other 34, hopefully. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is um, you were recently uh, uh, recognized as a distinguished alumni. Um, and you talked about carrying your faith through times of, of, of challenging times, right? You, you had the same prayers that you were saying daily. And that's something that I do that a lot of people don't even know that I do. Um, but how has faith, I guess, made you a better 
leader? Has it made you more empathetic? Has it made you more worldly view? How do you rely on your faith to get through some of those challenging times that leaders face on a daily basis? I think, Kevin, that uh, one, what faith does is, is very personal and it's one that gives you the inner strength to know that you can deal with adversity and deal with anything that comes in front of you. One of the biggest things that I think faith has done is allowed me to learn not to judge. <laughs> Look, I, I can't judge others. I, all I know is I'm going to do my best to make a difference. And at the same point, what the faith does is that if God is there to help me, then I'm there to help others. If I see somebody falling, which I have, and literally pick you up, I'm going to pick that person up. And I'm not only going to brush them off. I'm going to say, what can I do to help you to move forward? And that's what I love about, you know, Christian Brothers Academy is that when I first started uh, uh, Christian Brothers Academy, um, my father died at a young age, uh, 49. He was in the New York State Senate. My mother had eight kids. And so I had to be put to work early at the age of 14. When I got done with the paper route, I'd go to high school and then I'd be, have a job on Saturdays to go and pick up paper along the road with one of those spears and put in a bucket. I'll tell you, even to this day, I've never thrown anything out of a window. When I see somebody throw something out of a window, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> Learn what discipline, exactly. what discipline was about. And at the same point, the discipline of what faith has to have. Faith can't be there when you just want it or when you need help. It's got to be consistent. And if, if I have the belief that God is there for me, I have to be there for others consistently. Mm-hmm. To be there to help, to help mentor, to help guide and to help just be alongside. And I think you also learn what it's like to be a leader, but more importantly, I think the best leader are followers, the ones that know when to follow when you've got talent that's ahead of you that you really wanna have blossom, let them take over and let me follow and just make sure I'm there to help catch them and help uh, support them and and help uh, celebrate them at the same point. Man, that's that's different, Joe, because it's usually I, I, I. Let you let me let me take your work and then I'm going to pitch it as my own. Yeah, that's that. So that's kind of what I've seen on my side. Yeah, that's very it's unique. One, it's, it's just one where I think faith does so much. But I have to tell you that when you're at your very bottom, you think you're at the very bottom and you realize that there's there's support there for you. And mm-hmm. uh, but you can't forget it when you're on the down, because when you're on the up, you got to remember it just as much mm-hmm. and have to celebrate it and to help others during that their times that are difficulties. And so many of us, you know, we have so many, and the reason why I've never really shared the story up until today about my eyes, because we all have different challenges in life. We all have, doesn't matter if it's ourselves or it's a family member or what the case is. And a lot is never known because you don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think is when you do talk about it, you're able to tell some stories of inspiration that can just make it stronger for each of us and what have you. Yeah. Dang right, Joe. You nailed that on the head. This is this is awesome. And uh, Joe, I always lo- I always, always love asking uh, this question. Uh, how old were you when you knew that you were going to be a founder and a CEO of a company? Because I'm getting nervous about my age right now. And where I <laughs> <laughs> when I was at St. John Fisher College, great roommate Dusty Fisher, and Dusty uh, was in business. I was going to be in politics, and I was going all the way to Washington. And uh, we were both roommates and there was a night that uh, we had had a couple of beers and what have you. And he said, Joe, I just want to let you know, if you ever become a business owner, that's when I'm going to retire. Well, I have to tell you, today I'm a business owner and he's retired. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty's a man of his work. <laughs> so he sort of 
came along and it evolves and it, it's a revelation that occurs that you just think, you know what, I think I can do this. And I think that, you know what, I got to take the step and you're, you're taking a step and you're not sure where you're going. And it could be you're going right off a cliff or you're going on to a step you just don't know that's there that's gonna take you to a new dimension. Mm -hmm. And it, it's one of those things with it, I think, Tyler, that it didn't occur just one day, it just came over the course of time. Mm -hmm. But I, I have to tell you that um, it's, I'm so thrilled because you have to have a belief in self and have a belief in others. And if you can do that and have a passion and say, you know what, I got an idea and I think this idea is gonna work. Don't hold back because, you know, the worst thing you can do is to go back and say, I just should have. I could have, should have, would have. Mm -hmm. That will never be in our vocabulary. Mm -hmm. It has to be, you know what, take the risk, do it early because you got plenty of years to make it up. <laughs> I brought three plus one back out. I did it at the age of 58. And um, he thought I was just absolutely nuts because I'm getting close to seeing the days of retirement. And I keep saying, what age do you think of retirement? Because I'm... I'm not going to retire. And I have to tell you, my wife, Karen, says there's no way I'm ever going to retire. <laughs> you're bringing home the bacon. I still want to see the big reward. But you know what? You're not going to drive me crazy when I'm home retired. So I have to tell you, she says, you're going to keep focusing. You're going to keep making a difference. And let me take care of things back home. <laughs> wow. wow. Awesome. And I know you got a beautiful uh, golden doodle that's more famous than you, Joe, waiting for you at home <laughs> when you go home. The, the... Uh, would you like to share where this uh, he might have his a mug uh, currently on display? Well, I have to tell you that Eddie is very famous. First, <laughs> he goes up to the river. He's we have a cottage, and he goes out on a stone, and he will act like he is a, a lion, and will roar when people come by. Now, people come by from Canada. They come by from the Antique Boat Museum, and they honk the horn. He goes running out, and he just goes out there and roars. And at the same point, he's been in every year up at the Thousand Island Sun. They have a big picture of him saying, Eddie the River Doodle's back for the season. I try to get a picture. And are you kidding me? No. But Eddie the River Doodle. And they give him three quarters of a page. On top of that, he's been in magazines. He also is in two paintings. One, which is in the Memorial Art Gallery, in which Edie Small at the time, which is alive, did a big celebration of the Memorial Art Gallery. And she saw Eddie, she says, I got to put him in the painting. And sure enough, Eddie is one of the characters in the paintings, Eddie Rulison. I'm like, what the heck? How does he get in paintings? And I get, don't even deserve a dog biscuit. I'm trying to figure that one out. <laughs> but he is quite the gentleman. He is, uh, he, he has a sway and uh, he is absolutely an incredible, uh, incredible dog that just has touched a lot of lives. And uh, he is a character. Yeah. Well, I know you've touched a lot of lives, Joe, and just uh, me and you knowing each other from, from LinkedIn and then really in the business world is why I told Tyler, I absolutely have to get this guy on the show because I, I've always looked up to you and whether you know it or not, you're, you're a mentor to me. Um, one of the things though, is we received your application for, uh, to, to work here with Time Out with Leaders. So we have a few interview questions before we accept, uh, you to be a part of our team here, Joe, Absolutely. obviously we have, we have a line out the door as well, just like three plus one. And we're very, very picky. So Tyler, what is your first interview question for Mr. Rulison? Well, you know, the hardest part about uh, timeout with leaders is getting into timeout with leaders, as we as we know. <laughs> so my, my question for you, Joe, is if you had $41 trillion to spend tomorrow, but couldn't spend it on yourself, what would you spend it on? The communities. Give it all away. 
I want to give it away and know that it's making a difference. I, and that's how I look at myself is that I'll make sure my kids and my family are taken care of, but the rest, I work so that I can use this for others to know that those that can't make it happen, I'm going to make it happen for them. And I just, I don't want it. And you know what? Bob Hurlbut has a great, great uh, uh, saying that I just, it's always stayed with me. I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. So as a result, I'm just a big believer. You got to make an impact and know that it's going to go for, for generations to go. So I want to have that kind of impact. So my money is going to go to those that can't serve themselves and make a difference. So the U-Haul, man, that's cool. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I like I like that too. Well, in that same vein, then Joe is uh, my question is, what is your greatest weakness? Greatest weakness? Um, I love food. I, what can I? Get? <laughs> you know, this body's higher, not- higher. <laughs> I love my Grey Goose. Everybody knows that if you want to get to my heart, give me a bottle of Grey Goose. <laughs> I get a couple of olives. Gotta have some olives. I like the blue cheese ones. But I gotta tell you, I've always had an issue where I just love food. And I, it, you know, they asked me, do you like this? You're like, look at this body's been built on just food alone. It doesn't have to, you know, fruit and vegetables. Eh, I like the good meaty stuff. I like the stuff that's got, you know, the calories and everything else that tastes good. That's my weakness. And you know yeah. what? I don't apologize for it. <laughs> happy, makes me to be have a lot of energy and allows me to go out and do a lot of things. So I got to tell you, my weakness is my fuel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're hired here because it's also Tyler and I's weakness. Yes. The last question then that I have for you, since you are such a foodie, Tyler and I are taking Joe Rulson and his wife out for dinner. Where are we going out to dinner in Rochester? Well, I got to tell you, I just had an incredible dinner the other night. And um, I was just blown away by it at Max's Chop House on Monroe Ave. It was just oh, out of the place. world. And oh. I, I love black and blue. I love, um, you know, I love Italian food. We have so many great restaurants throughout the community. Grinnell's and just great old establishment. Charlie Brown's. I love Charlie Brown's. Yeah. We're so fortunate. There's so many places. But you know what the great thing is? Because it's my weakness. You can take me anywhere and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Joe, I, I'm just, I wanted to say thank you so much for agreeing to be part of our show with us, thank you. sharing your stories and your wisdom and your insights, because our hope is from this show, whether you're a leader by title or not, that you wanted to kind of take something from this conversation and learn from Joe's uh, experiences in life and business to really start applying in our own lives to make ourselves better in the lives of others. So thank you so much, Joe, for agreeing to be a part of the show with Tyler and I today. Our pleasure. And you guys, thanks so much. You guys are amazing. And I got to tell you, Kevin and Tyler, what you've done, what you've created is an incredible platform and one that I'm thrilled to be part of. And anytime you want me back, I'm here to be with yours. But well, I gotta, you got your, it's a race to 50 now. <laughs> a race to 50. So 50 states, we're going to definitely invite you back because that's going to be one heck of an accomplishment. And I'll tell you what, we'll have a bottle of Grey Goose to celebrate also. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler and I will bring the uh, blue cheese olives too. Don't you Definitely the blue cheese olives, Joe. You're the man. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks so guys. much, Joe. You have a great day. Will do. Thank you.